0: Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television.
1: So at this time, um, it's my pleasure to be here and uh, to talk about museums and culinary arts. Um, That's an easy phrase to say when you're talking about Mexico. As heads of world-class museums and restaurants, our panelists will discuss the critical importance of fomenting national pride and identity within Mexico and in, in the international arena. So first, I would like to introduce to you Diana Magaloni. She's the director of Mexico's Museum of Anthropology, the world's leading anthropology museum. Diana. To her right, Monica Patino. She's a celebrity chef. Her show, Utilisima, <laughs> is airing on the Fox channel. She's also an author of a book called Sabor de la Cocina, and she is the owner of La Taverna de Leon, Nau's Restaurant, and Del-, Del Rio Deli Cafe in Mexico. And she will tell you more about her projects. Monica? <laughs> And Roxana Velasquez, Executive Director of the San Diego Museum of Art and former Director of Mexico's Museo del Palacio de Bellas Artes. Welcome to all of you. (laughs) And before we get started with our panelists, Professor Sheldon Brown is here. He's a professor of visual arts from UC San Diego. He will be showing some video excerpts from two projects, one of them called Mi Casa es Su Casa and Scalable City.
2: Thank you. So um, I'm a professor of visual arts and I'm going to talk uh, very, give you a taste of two projects since I'm going to try and merge this theme of culinary arts and museums. Um, I do, and just a slight bit of context, um, I do work that looks at the intersection between art, culture, and computation. And, um, and my work kind of takes lots of different forms, um, but they all kind of share this underlying concern. So uh, the first project, I'm just going to show you a minute of a clip of a project that I did uh, a decade ago, Time Flies, um, that is a, uh, was a shared virtual reality environment between the Children's Museum here in San Diego and the um, National Center for the Arts in Mexico City. So let's go and we'll watch a minute of this uh, video. Tu Casa, My House is Your House is a binational, networked, Virtual Reality Playhouse. Half of it's here in San Diego at the Children's Museum. The other half is in Mexico City at the National Center for the Arts. It has two physical spaces in each of these locales. And within these physical spaces, there are a number of things that kids can play with and interact with, some oversized tools, a giant ball they spin around, kind of magic mirror Um, and while they're doing that they're inputting events into a computer that creates a 3D computer graphic uh, representation of what they're doing and that 3D computer graphic representation is shared by both physical spaces. So um, that project was very much uh, situated between Mexico and the United States and took as that context a lot of the issues that were involved and examined in that work, the construction of identity, um, the kind of worldview that people and kids would have, particularly within this kind of emerging network digital media context. Um, The next project we're going to look at has a very different relationship to the, the situation that I as an artist find myself in working on the border between the U.S. and Mexico, And this is a a project called the Scalable City. And the Scalable City has a lot of different kind of outputs from it. And we're going to look at uh, one in particular today. Um, But this is developed, the the working process of the initial part of this project was done with a geographer at Scesi, Alejandro Hinojosa, where we were starting to look at how we were understanding the landscape and the culture and its interaction with with that landscape uh, within this region. Um, so often this project is, is presented as multi-user environments in museums, and it's been shown at, at places all over the world, so there's a, there's an aspect of the kind of discourse that I think takes place between culture and the landscape here, um, that has a kind of, uh, that speaks to audiences all over the world, so now I think we go to the movie, eventually, here we go. Yeah. The, that, that movie is actually made by the output of, of, of when people play this as a game in a museum, they, I collect that data and then I go and make these movies from it and, and the whole idea and part of the idea is it 's informed by this aesthetic that I find of being in this kind of border context it's that's really informed by the kind of collisions and collages of ideas and cultures coming together and kind of forming new possibilities and new outcomes. And so here I'm kind of trying to really kind of maybe take that in kind of radical, you know, kind of almost psychedelic new ways. And in the game, it actually kind of looks more like this, where there's a globe of cities that, or yeah, globe of cities that kind of are all based on different parts of the world, this kind of northern Mexico, southern California. Uh, Brazil, uh, China, um, so different different places where you have these kind of interesting dynamics between emerging cultural contexts, um, and I think that's all I'm going to say. So thank you. Thank you,
1: Diana, Monica. Let's go ahead and uh, begin with Diana. Would you like to make your presentation.
3: Hi, I am very happy to be with you all, and I thank very much the organizers for inviting us to this very important meeting where ideas are going to be like seeds that I hope grow for a better future for everybody. I am here to talk about one of the greatest institutions in our country. I am proud to be now at the head of the National Museum of Anthropology, En el Museo Nacional de Antropología. And um, I call this talk Tezcatlipoca's Mirror because Tezcatlipoca in the ancient Mesoamerican world for the Mexica particularly was a god that was called the god of the, the, the nearby and the far. No, so he was everywhere. And also because Tezcatlipoca shows us a reality that has all good and bad, just sort of speak, has all the nuances of reality, realities it's, it's always many and multifaceted. And so in that mirror, in that mirror of I wanna I want to talk about the museum as a mirror of who we are and as a mirror that also allows us to be like a path to focus on the future. This is the National Museum. It was called the National Museum. And uh, as Rafael just said, it was the first... St- act of statesmanship of the President Guadalupe Victoria to gather all the antiquities. And also it was botany, it was was really a huge museum as it was in the 19th century. And this was the museum, the house of the museum until 1960, it is not. This is the way uh, visitors will experience The pieces, the the archaeological great monuments of Mexico, in a viceroyal building, that they were almost like hostages of the time that ended that period. So, in 1964, and this is very important, a group of Mexicans really concerned about who we are and what what they wanted to be Mexico. No, in the 60s, in the 60s, we were like um, designing modernity. No, plastics were discovered. The men arrived to the moon, and, and really people were thinking ahead and, and creating institutions that were going to be like the 20th century's institutions. So as part of that, this group of people, and headed by then the Secretary of Education, Jaime Torres-Bodet, decided to create and build this modern te- temple for timeless treasures. And why is this museum so important and this act so, so... Like, it is really the, the shiniest institution in Mexico. Look, look at that. Here it is. You enter the museum and you enter really a temple. All the language, all the architectural language. So this is the site of Uxmal in the Maya area. The architect Pedro Ramirez Vasquez really inspired himself on the... It is called the Quadriangulo de las Monjas, by, it is a quadrangle and the spaces are based, the, the National Museum, it's based on this space. Here it is how much past and present relate. Even to this, like the effect of the gargles and the effect of the celosia in the museum are really echoing each other. So the museum is not only a building, It is a temple, it is recasting the pre-Columbian notion of space and time into architecture. So when visitors come and enter the museum, they are not only entering a museum, they are entering the past, but in the present. And therefore, the building was built for the collections, was asked to have them again in their setting, but it's it's a present setting. I think that is a brilliant act of understanding Mexico. And each time I see kids, like we have a lot of kids entering the museum every day, because Jaime Torres-Bodet also thought of this as um, museums were to be as the augla magna, the the luxurious uh, schoolroom for all Mexicans. And so all schools have to still come to the museum to get their homework done. Now, so we have a lot of, and these children are entering this temple, this timeless temple, and, and experiencing history, and experiencing um, art, and experiencing archeology, span not through rationality, you know, thoughts, but through, through a life-changing experience. And that is why all over Mexico, people refer to the museum and refer to those first experiences when they were young. And I think this is one of the most brilliant acts of a government. The, it, was, it was really, even from the beginning, that is the, the calendar stone that was placed there because the whole hall was planned for it to have it as the focus and the axis mundi of the museum. And here it is. And as Pedro Ramirez Vasquez now, he's 91 years old, but he still loves the museum and comes every time he wants. And it's a lot. He comes often. He thought of it as a temple. This is like a retablo, no? And the calendar stone is there. But after saying this, so today and looking forward to the future, what do we have to do with an institution of this nature? What are are our challenges knowing that we have this treasure in hands, no? it is funny, but as it was built in the 60s, now in the first decade, no we're starting the second decade of the 21st century, it is really our task to think about what the future is holding and to be ahead of that future. I mean, at least to, to, to like in the city you were building, <laughs> to throw the game out there to, for the possibilities. So these are, the first thing, the... The museum now wants to do is to create a community of learning with children and parents. And this is very important, and talking about the challenges Mexico has, the Secretary of Education, Alonso Lujan, you just said that one of the greatest challenges is that in the '60s, no, Jaime Torres Boder and, and, and the presidency there, really uh, envisioned an institution of education, but didn't envision the community of learning. So this is our first challenge, to bring in parents and to create small communities from the bottom up and not from the top to the bottom, this big state. The second is this global reach um, of our collections and resources through the internet. And as you won't believe it, but um, all these cataloging and digitalizing the collections hadn't been done. The museum didn't even have like, um, the installations to have email running. No. So really think about the future in terms of sharing our collection and getting the museum in the world with research. And then ce- celebrating contemporary indigenous cultures. And I will just run quickly because I, I am almost out of time. Everything that happens inside this space, it's almost... Here it is, our programs that are all these children that come, the community of learning. This is the study of our collection, and for doing that, all the areas in the museum are participating and reviewing again what we have and redoing research and having also researchers in staff. This is the way we're photographing, and and we'll have a database online, so it's public, it's really public knowledge. And... The other thing that we've, we've been doing, it's, it's creating, it's acknowledging the social capital indigenous communities have. Each comparsa, there were like 80 indigenous from Yucatan, then from the Oaxaca, and then from um, northern Veracruz. Every one of them knew how to build instruments, have their own schools of music. They were building instruments in their houses. And every year... They have this big participation of communities coming into a gathering, and they have these feasts. So we invited them in the bicentennial of our our country to do their their feast in the museum just as they do it. And what we learned is that really these, these communities have a lot of social capital, a lot of knowledge, and we want the museum to... To, to be the house of this knowledge and to be the house of these communities. So it is part of the discourse today of this great, timeless temple. So that is what we're doing now. I think I'm on time. Okay, thank you.
4: <laughs> Monica. Bueno. Um, I'm sorry I'm not going to speak in English because then it's going to be a last 12 minutes. <laughs> so... Um, maybe in French uh, or in Italian, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, um, I'm going to speak in Spanish. Um, for me,
0: it was tremendously important uh, to acknowledge the University of Manuel for having me here. Uh, hopefully, my 30 years of experience have served us in something in terms of who we are and where we're going uh, in terms of Mexico moving forward. I am going to sort of take off from Diana's remarks in the sense that the museum should become dynamic or living is something akin to what we do in gastronomy. A museum is... uh, a space where we have part of a culture which is apparently dead or has no life, but by hosting workshops and allowing young people and cultures to come together in this space and imbue it with life and values. This is one of the key components in allowing Mexico to move forward as opposed to towards a kind of energy that leads us to situations which we are unable to resolve. In terms of gastronomy, which I have the experience of having lived through, let me talk to you a little bit about where Mexico finds itself at. The question which I have consider during the first years of my gastronomical experiences that Mexico is in our hearts, is in the hearts of Mexicans wherever they may be, residing here or elsewhere in the world, that this part, for those of us who have been born in Mexico or have Mexico's uh, bloodline in us, carry it with us. People who have experienced Mexico as well incorporate this experience into their hearts. Once you taste Mexico, you never forget. And something which I somebody mentioned a little bit ago when he was asking where this negativity, this aggression, and at the same time this passion for artistic expression, why is it that we have these two scenarios currently? We reflected on the history of art, our human experience and the focus is on us. And as such, let us talk about that portion of our energy, which is positive, which allows us to grow, which allows us to recognize because energy is neither positive nor negative. It is there. And if Mexicans and young people aren't enabled to channel it positively, uh, the energy is wasted. So let us ensure that this energy expended in power struggles and otherwise, I think, and I might be naive or innocent to think that we could redirect it to communities such as those that Christina mentioned, because. I live in the Colonia Roma in Mexico City. I greatly enjoy it. I cycle around. I purchase bread, newspaper. I say hello to the shine uh, man in the park, the doves in the afternoon, the bells tolling in the church. This, for me, is Mexico. It's the community that we have to find ourselves in more in the park going out for a an ice cream look for a common orchard not a sterile uh, park or patio or socalo but maybe a park where we have our legumes our uh, lemons. Uh, Chile we as Mexicans um, are have a proclivity towards uh, the basket and the street market and this is something which we within the gastronomical sphere, need to develop it a little bit further in a simple and natural fashion, just like my television show. Just kidding. I was born into this gourmet world. My father was my grandmother, a tremendous chef. I was born in 65 in a Mexico, where the culture... Outside was better than the one inside. That's what was understood, if one read between the lines. The garden in front was better than ours. If one wanted to, France must. Well, if one wanted to sh- cook, one must go to France to learn how to cook or make a croissant or a baguette. But in my home, there was a matate a molcajete. you produce sauces, you could hear upon arriving from school, the lady cooking uh, in the kitchen, and there's this duality. My experience with the language provided me something different. I didn't I went to France I studied cooking I came back I tried to create a trend nobody was interested in novel cuisine I tried to create different uh, presentations. And once I was asked to participate in a festival in uh, Germany. And I said, what me? I cook French food. And at that point, I had to open up my heart and look inside. I enclosed myself within a ranch. I called my grandmother and my aunts. And within two months, I jumped inside myself. I jumped into Mexico and I thought, wow, and I learned how to make a fideo soup or a bean and nopal soup, chile chipotle, a recipe from an aunt of mine. I understood what chipotle means a nautil word which means dry smoked chile. I learned so much upon my voyage that I thought this is who I am, but I could not renounce the other mosaic of cultures and conquests, which is have experienced because I have traveled to Thailand and India and Bhutan to become familiar with and learn to Tibet. I'm someone who likes to learn to find myself. And I found that to uh, travel around the world, everything really was where I was at, where my roots were at. With this, I began to create a much clearer identity that in Mexico. We have what we need. It's a country mid-planet, a country that has a culture that has mountains and oceans and deserts. We have the energy and we're tasked with utilizing it and channeling it and making young people proud to know who we are, not so much uh, Going outwards towards an external world and thinking it's better. We have seen that our culture is is a jewel. We being here in La Jolla or the jewel is very apropos. Let us look and rescue ourselves, for in doing so we will have a better Mexico. Thank
4: you. a <laughs> México
5: Roxana. Thank you very much. First, thanks for this incredible program. Thank you, Alberto. Thank you, Peter Cowley, Graciela, for all the efforts. It's such a, such a proud to be here listening to all of my colleagues and friends. How wonderful, how inspiring you, you all are. Thank you so much. And I've witnessed your, your work through the years. As you might know, I was working in Mexico the last 20 years, heading three national museums, and I just moved to the San Diego Museum of Art, and I am very proud to be here and to be able to share with you what I believe is the best face that Mexico has, the culture. No doubt, importance of Mexico's cultural heritage in the globalized era from the museum's perspective. That is a very pretentious title. It's not mean for that, but I just wanted to tie... The relevance for Mexico's culture heritage is something that really has to be heard carefully. Maybe we have listened it, but we need to be listening it more. It is really an impressive cornerstone of the development of our country. And it has been used for several reasons, like strengthened identity. It has preserved traditions, keeps history alive, acknowledges diversity, enhances national pride, shares and sustains artistic productions, and reinforces Mexico's status as an international cultural authority. It's, I think, important to remember that in 2010, UNESCO's survey located Mexico in the top six countries, along with Spain, France, Italy, Germany, and China, out of the 148 countries participating with the nation with the largest number of world heritage sites. And I mean world, not Mexican sites, which is really impressive for me. And in the Mexican world heritage sites, maybe you all are aware of those, but I love to lecture and to mention them once and another and another time because we are not aware that 27 places 27 have been cataloged as the World Heritage Sites. Among them, the historic center of Mexico City, which is, you might all know, is a place that reflects, mirrors us, as you just mentioned, and represents all this wonderful mosaic of people that have created that nation. The historic center of Mexico, but also the Universidad Nacional 20th Century. Uh, There you are looking at the mosaics. Or the Luis Barragan, architect from the 20th century studio. Going from the pre-Hispanic period, Teotihuacan, El Tajín, Xochicalco, Xochimilco, then the Hospicio Cabañas or the Sierra Gorda. 30 centuries of uninterrupted creativity, cultural heritage. Rafael just mentioned that. It is impressive, uninterrupted artistic creativity. And you see how I say these words and I feel the pride. So if I've been part of that country, that feels proud among its culture. Not only we do have those 27 uh, World Heritage Sites, but also the natural from nature. I think in English, natural is not as in Spanish, but de la naturaleza. Heritage Sites, Shankan or the butterflies from the Monarch Reserve, the islands protected from the Gulf of California and other islands that we all know, (laughs) the Whale Sanctuary, also the intangible cultural heritage. These sites are these sites, the other 27. And uh, just we met my friend Monica, who was talking about the relevance of the intangible ancestral cuisine, the tequila, the songs, the oral traditions that really mirror who we are and what is that network society and that complexity that you describe wonderfully, Cristina. Globalization. We've all spoke about globalization. This is a common word that's it's not a dream. It's not a utopia. It's not McLuhan describing it in the 60s. In the 60s. Globalization is what we are living and where we were born. So the contexts are shifting nowadays. Nowadays, the, we have to do lots of efforts to systemize the protection and the conservation of the cultural heritage. There are lots of treaties, conventions, agreements, legislations from France to the world. We cannot be working alone. We are part of a globalized world. And there are many, many issues that arise with this concept of globalization. Some of those, when you you read there, it's the cultural protection versus a culture, cultural marketing, aggressive marketing process, but very needed nowadays. Also, the emergency of cultural industries, the new technologies that were also mentioned here, the mass media, the cultural resources and the desperately call from networking, cooperation and collaboration. It's a desperately call, as I said. We all need to be working together, creating together and sharing experiences because there are different models in the cultural politics in the world, different ways of running institutions and I have witnessed those because I have had the fortune to work in almost all the world and I have witnessed which are the wonderful tendencies, the differences among, say, the United States and Mexico, say, the support of the state, of the nation for the arts... Rafael was mentioning the the role of the nation as providing the means for the creation and the cultural activity. And I've learned here the corporate activities, the private support. So we need to mix both. We have different ways of governance, and I think that we shall learn from one another. And concretely here, speaking from Mexico and the United States, it's very important to learn and to recognize that we can learn from one each other. We have wonderful things. And we have, well, tourism as another subject. You know that tourism is increasing. It's a real relevant aspect of this globalization world. This cultural tourism has transformed Europe sites, has awakened special cities in the north of Italy or in Mexico. So we should be aware of uh, this. And, well, let me land in museums I was telling you that I worked in museums for the last 20 years, and I consider that Mexico is a wonderful place for learning museographical scripts, museological descriptions, and museonomy that has turned into a science. When I was thinking on my lecture yesterday, I, I thought that museographical scripts are, it's not a word that you use in English you say installation and you think as an installation what Mexico has created a complete science it's fascinating to see to study to learn from what has happened in the museums in Mexico my friend Diana, the proud of anthropological museum which we all love just show you an exhibition and a building that was created in 1964 with all the conditions of a contemporary museum, which all the premises of how to communicate to societies and involve them and make the museums and the works of art relevant for societies, which is another subject. We are in the museums, in the culture prepared to serve societies to create bonds, to attract the young, the old, whoever and that's what you live in Mexico City you live this mosaic, this group of people and you I'm sure that Mexico can export and can teach those ways of museography and museographical scripts thank you so much, my time was gone, thank you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: gracias
1: it's it's hard to mix the two questions that we might have for you talking about food and museums, so I'm going to start with Monica and ask you just a very simple question that I, I bet you some of the audience um, probably will wonder also have the same thought. Are you born with the genes? Is one born with those genes to cook, or is, it, can it, is that something that can be learned and taught?
4: Uh, well, I think everything has to be learned. But, um, but, but you have, like, the possibilities in your life, and then uh, when it comes, you decide, but you, you know already what you like and what you want. And in that point, I, of course, I like to eat, to go to restaurants, to be served, to have the experience of the senses all around. So I, I understood that I have this sensibility to express myself, no matter what, it is a cook or... Maybe in a photograph, or maybe in architect, or maybe in the design, graphic designs. So I have like these three or four uh, paths to to follow. But um, my experience brought me to to learn to, to cook and to and to share with the people. I like to share things. I like to share the things I do, and I like to uh, to please the other pe- the, the, the other people when they see a plate. Not just to do it like that, you know to have the opportunity to communicate. I speak English. <laughs> um, here in the border
1: region, um, there, you can find a taco shop anywhere in San Diego. Is that disturbing to you to see that um, maybe not just in America but in other places of the world, you know, taco seems to be the staple food or what is Mexico known for? Is that, does that bother you?
4: Um, well, in, in personal, maybe it's bother the people who only think tacos is uh, what we have. Um, I think Mexico is very rich in, in, in the culture of the gastronomy. Uh, is as rich as the big uh, whole republica. We, we have the sea from both sides. We have the Cocina del Sureste from the, the, the Sur, the Oaxaca. We have... Uh, uh, even I I don't understand it well the, the, the complex of, the, of Mexico in the, in the food um, and um, also I think that is the easy way to present some like a little piece but uh, if you are interested in going to know more you have just to, to pull out maybe this kind of uh, from taco and then continue and continue and you have the whole that it never ends so um, Anyway, I, I, they don't talk like that, okay. <laughs> but it's not us. It's, it's different what is presented here that we have in Mexico. Sure. So I think all this related to um, to connect with experience, to know Mexico more. So I think uh, also for the Mexicans to travel around in Mexico uh, no, to the los Mercados, uh, to eat, to relax, to, to have the experience, this also is like uh, uh, nourish your, your soul and nourishing your, your, your life. So I think it's a very good tourist part to, con- to open the door through the senses of the feeling of the, uh, to, to know Mexico more about the gastronomy.
1: Well put. Yeah. To move on to the subject um, of museums, you you both have all of you actually, but the those of you that are working with the museums, you have a big responsibility um, it 's a huge responsibility to share world renowned culture to the rest of you know the, the whole world because that is what you 're showing us um, how do you, How do you live with that on a daily basis, knowing that you're responsible for what you curate, what what is there in the museum, and
5: um, you know how do you how do you take that responsibility? Okay, uh, definitely, it's an okay. First, how do you live with that? It's uh, it's easy, of course. It's a large responsibility. We are custodians of the best things that man has produced through the world, centuries, timing, knowledge, but but the, the, how do we live with that? We live with passion, with enthusiasm. We cannot be in the art world, in the museum's world, if you lack that. We love what we do. And we are aware, and let me talk in first person. I know you shared this with me, Diana. But we believe that we are there to provide societies with different lectures. We know how challenging it is to remain attractive, innovative, and to speak to our societies. What is, societies are changing, identity has been challenged, nations have been shift, so we need to, provo- to create and adequate our scripts, our museographical scripts. We need to think in what is relevant, again, in order to remain relevant and to produce a lot of discourses, experimental laboratories, mirrors. We are not just temples. We were temples for uh, appraising the past, the past cultures. Today, we have to reflect this multiple society, these young people, include technologies, and be more reflective of the, our 21, 21st century. Diana. Would you
1: like to add something, Diana?
3: Um, well... I think Roxana said most of the things we have to do, but um, to to really be a custodian, no, a steward, stewardess of for me it 's of the past and of the present, because the National Museum of Anthropology has the, all all the treasures of the archaeological past, a past that it's very complex and rich, but it's also really unknown to us and and the readings on the past are so important for the present. And the indigenous communities today are really affected by the way we we see, understand, and take care of that past, because they are the same people. And um, for me, the responsibility is really to bring a more, I would say, to put more humanity know, like human feelings, emotions, thought, small histories, understanding of the pre-Columbian past to bring it into the present so so that people don't only have an experience of it as awesome, no, it's like the mighty Aztecs. And then you come to the 16th century and all these anonymous indigenous don't have faces. And they really created for us what the understanding of the past in the 16th century, thousands of 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 people, small communities, really rewrote their histories in order to not erase themselves from history, and we don't have that really intertwined into our into our national discourse of identity, and therefore today all this richness that the the pueblos indios, because communities is a sense of. Um, it is a word that was used really in the nineteenth century. They they call themselves Pueblos Indios and they are really proud of being that. But they have not been intertwined into our narrative of a nation as respectful as as it deserves it to be. And most of these communities live in, in very like extreme poverty. So how does a National Museum of Anthropology that exhibits the grandeur of their culture, that is the responsibility, recast that past so that they themselves own it and we have their own interpretation into that? I think that is the challenge of the 21st century, to be really multifaceted, to, to include all that richness, and not only as a discourse of state, no? To create identity and so we can have peace with each other, that, that was the 19th century, no? To, to, re, to be this corporate state. And it was really, it was a really great thing for our, our 19th and 20th century history to be the, the nation that was really being united and, and we didn't have the problems that all Latin American countries had in terms of, no? Of, of that tension between the military and the government. We, we created a great nation, but now this great nation has to really include the voices of many. And I think that is the responsibility of, of an institution like the museum, because um, if it is not there, where? No, it is, it is the, right, the right space. It's, it's, I say, it really, it's this sacred space. You come inside and you are immersed into all these 3,000 years of history. Three thousand years of art, and so whatever happens there, it has important uh, repercussions for the future. So we were bequeathed with that space, with that great thinking, no? and and this search for excellence. Because I mean, you couldn't find an, a mistake in that museum, really, like museographically, like you were saying. You experience what what it meant for a Mesoamerican to come in into a sacred space. And, and there is the tree of life and there is the cycles of time and history and then the, the beauty of the architecture and the pieces are all there silent but, but in a sense giving you the energy of all this knowledge. No? So with that inheritance, what are we going to do today for the future re- generations? And how do we include the multiple voices and how do we include... The wisdom, tradition, and the stories—like Cristina was saying—that the intimate stories of all these people that are Mexico. No, I I I really think that is the most important responsibility. Well said. For me.
1: Um, Mon- Monica, you mentioned children when you were giving your presentation. What what measures do you all take to ensure? That the younger generations uh, carry what you carry, the message that you're trying to send, whether it be, you know, uh, realizing what is natural in Mexico with the ingredients, and, like you mentioned, instead of going to the store to purchase, to go to the markets. How, what measures do you take in the museum to ensure that children will um, be better educated in these areas? You're talking
4: to me? Okay. Ah, sorry, sorry. Okay.
5: So, so you'd like to talk I about know, anthropological? It's challenging, no? Or, we well, well uh, l- l- let me talk about, about uh, the Palacio de Bellas Artes or the Museo Nacional de Arte or San Carlos. <laughs> they are uh, how measures you take in order to bring the students to the institution, right? Because the museums in Mexico are recognized for having a lot of children. If you visit here, 20 minutes from here, or maybe half an hour, or CECUT, El Centro Cultural Tijuana, I was there in October, and I just arrived and saw all these kids, you know, surrounding this huge lobby, and I, was, I, I remembered how it felt, right? How it felt there? in Mexico. The schools have a relation with the museums. There's an official program through the Ministry of Education, and they are, we have a lot, or you have a lot. I, really <laughs> I have watched. to shift my mind now. So we had a lot of, of uh, relations. They, it's part of the curricula, The Secretaria de Educación Pública has created those programs from public to private schools, and it is a must. The museums in Mexico as a cultural institution and the sites are visited by students. It is a totally different model from the United States. And I will just talk about, not only about San Diego, but of my experience of of, uh, the AAMD, the Art Association of Museum Directors, whom I've served six years ago, so I'm very aware of the models of education in the United States as well. Uh, So uh, we need to be creating and attracting more students to the museums in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell us about your anthropological museum. When I was a girl, I was obliged to visit the anthropological museum, the Castillo Chapultepec, and by all means, the Palacio de Bellas Artes. Those were icons. Those were places that were creating the national pride. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, uh, besides the national pride of the students, remember that these pieces are exported and are ambassadors for our country. Speaking about moving forward, the great exhibitions of anthropological places that you will be better than me to talk about them, Olmec, Mayans, wherever you have them, Lee in Paris in Vienna, or the Kunsthistorien, wherever you've seen them, in Venice, Crowds of young people, students, old people, doesn't matter. It's a huge mosaic of the world, admiring what just my friend Diana has described, Mm -hmm. the pieces and landing them into today's world.
1: Mm -hmm. Would either of you like to comment, Monica or Diana?
3: Uh, Talking about the educational programs, and it's an idea that I just mentioned in, in my brief intervention. I I was really impressed with with the words of of, um, Alonso Lujambio, the Secretary of Education, when he said that the challenge today for Mexico is to create communities of learning. We have these programs, and I think they are really great, but it is the institution, the school, the institution, that takes you into another institution, the museum. So all your experience as a kid is filtered through the institutions. Great. But as you and as we all know, being kids... (laughs) Um, The experience through the institutions have a little place in your memory, and your experience, but what happens if you go with your parents? It is a whole different thing, a whole different ballgame. And what happens if in the museum you have programs, like Mercados, I was thinking. We have the Mercado Atlético. What if we really create something about learning how to go to the Mercado? and educate. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, let's be creative. Let, let's create programs that allow all of us to have a good experience, like the word, it's a little bit short for what I want to say, but fun, no? <laughs> but it's more than fun. It is really to have a, a great joining experience. And I think this is the challenge of, of any society today, to create really these communities based more on, on participation of, of, the, of the parents, the kids, and not only through no, the lenses of, a, of an institution that it's framing your experience in a way. I mean, I don't say that that is bad. I think we could add that and help education, no? What is the one, two, three, four, five problem? <laughs> like Rafael was saying it's exactly this No, So that is only like looking forward. I would like that to happen.
1: Everybody so to take some responsibility, in other words. To
3: have the opportunity, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, no? Mm-hmm. It is also See. about opportunity.
5: I, I congratulate Sheldon, this excellent museum, the children's museums I had afforded to visit, and I think it's a wonderful way of, uh, of mixing artists with the uh, children. And Mexico has been distinguished for the program's for children in the museums. I don't remember one of my large exhibitions of the last 20 years, say Magritte, Rubens, Goya, Frida Kahlo, that had not a special space for the kids in the galleries. So the, uh, Mexico, you know, we are a young country. We have a, the most of the people, and, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, the ones that have the last survey, but it's under 40-year-old, which a percentage of the population is young. So Mexico has produced educational programs inside the large exhibitions. And I'm talking about Fine Arts Museum, not Anthropologica, okay. which was my experience, San Carlos, Bellas Artes, Monal. So it is a relevant issue and it, it will be wonderful to exchange with the United States those sites of, of programs, like the Chicago, but to extend it to the San Diego community and, obviously, to the Chula Vista community in order to bring them, exactly, to make the museum important for them, mm-hmm. again, in, in both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much to all our panelists. Yeah, Everything yeah, you yeah. had to say
1: was fascinating. Diana, <laughs> Monica, Roxana, muchas gracias.
5: Thank you.